Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. We got a great show on tap for you guys today. As you see, Derek Nealon is our guest. He is the spotter of the number eight Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet in the Cup Series for Tyler Reddick. Also spots in the truck, Xfinity, and Arca Menard Series. He has a very, very interesting story, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it and learn a little bit more about Derek. He is a spotter and racer extraordinaire, and I can't wait for you guys to hear about his story. I'm also back from vacation. I am sorry, I, I told you guys I was gonna try to crank out an episode for you guys while I was in the middle of the ocean, but other plans, AKA relaxation, lack of Wi-Fi, bad service, uh, those things contributed to no episode this past week. But before we do any of that, we got to take a minute and pay homage. So who does Papa Siegel have in this week's Wayback segment? Well, let's open up that little present, untie that ribbon, and see what we got. Thank you, Duve, and welcome everyone to episode 141. A tough choice this week. Kurt Busch has the most starts in the 41, and six of the numbers wins but we already gave Kurt his due in episode 97. Another popular choice would have been Mr. Excitement, Jimmy Spencer, but we've already looked back on Mongo as well. So, when all else fails for this segment of the pod, you know what we do. We go way back, where we find early NASCAR pioneer Curtis Turner. Turner piloted the 41 in 72 races, and took home the big trophy in 12 of those rides, by far the most of any driver racing the number. Turner was a big star in the early NASCAR convertible series, where he won 38 races out of 79 in all over a four-year span. He won 17 races at the cup level over 17 years before dying in a plane crash in 1970 as he was flying to a special one-off race in Charlotte. Turner still holds a bunch of records. He won the most races, 38, and poles, 23, in the convertible division. He also won the most races in the convertible division in one season, 22 of them, and poles in one season, 16. Some others I especially like are that he was the only driver to win two cup races from the pole by leading every single lap. And get this one, he was the only driver ever to win a cup race after it was red flagged because he was the only driver left whose car was still running. I love that one. Curtis Turner was a great driver and maybe even a greater partier. We previously touched on that when we discussed his racing and drinking buddy, Joe Weatherly. Still, Turner was named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers and he was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame in 2016. That's all for today, but strap in for the next few weeks. If you don't know who we'll be talking about, I'll give you a hint. Did you know that Richard, Maurice, and Lee Petty all drove the 41 car back in the day? The King even won it six times, but more about them to come. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Yes, a Hall of Famer for multiple reasons, but glad we were able to pay homage to somebody before my time and before Dad's time, Curtis Turner. I love getting to learn a little bit more about the oldies but the goodies in this wonderful sport we love, NASCAR. Let's get this episode started, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned... And throw it straight over to interview time. With Derek Nealon, he is the eye in the sky, the spotter, the racer extraordinaire, a Northeast spotter, and one that actually does not reside in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. We chat about that, how he is a different spotter than most, 
but not a lone wolf in that respect. He's also a racer. We chat a little bit about his racing, whether or not that helps him as a spotter. And also he has a very unique nickname and he got it from a unique driver in a unique circumstance. We'll chat about that and so, so much more. Here's my conversation with spotter extraordinaire, Derek Neeland. Pleasure to welcome on to the show today, Tyler Reddick's Eye in the Sky. But man, oh man, is he more than that than meets the eye. It's Derek Neeland, spotter in the Cup Series, has been for a while, will be for hopefully a little bit longer. You were just saying that you don't know if this is going to be in one of my TikTok recaps, but as I told Todd Gillen, <laughs> you got to do something dumb to get in there probably. So as long as you don't do anything dumb, you will not be in there. So congratulations. Not yet. You haven't been yeah. in it. I, I appreciate it. I'm hoping to uh, stay off of that for a while, but uh, maybe maybe something funny, but hopefully not dumb. Yeah. The thing is, you just, you got to clear Tyler when he's actually clear. And if you clear him when he's not, then that's when you'll be in it. And that's when things start going downhill. So, you know. All right. Well, hopefully I'll, uh, I'll stay on the other side of that. <laughs> yes. We can only hope. I was telling you before, I like to kind of dive deep with my guests and tell their stories. And you have a really interesting story to tell because grew up in the Northeast obviously worked in NASCAR for a handful of years now. You also still do some of your own racing. There's a lot to unpack with you, but I want to start all the way back at the beginning when little Derek went to that first race in New Hampshire back in the 90s. I think you were seven years old, and that's when you kind of caught the bug. Is that right? Uh, Man, it's probably really earlier than that. Um, I mean, I so I'm going to go back even further. So I was born in uh, you know, June 20th, 1986. And I think it was actually a, like a month or two after I was born or maybe even a couple of weeks. Uh, my grandfather was actually the general manager of a track called Features Motor Speedway, which actually just yeah. closed down just at the closed. end of, yeah. uh, just closed at the end of uh, 2021 season. And uh, so back when it was clay, um, he was a general manager of that track that the Cusacks owned. Uh, and my mom and like my a bunch of my family members they used to run the concession stands and and all that stuff so i mean like as soon as i was born um you know my mother had brought me to uh the racetrack to watch as as even an infant so i mean just as as a baby i've I've always been around racing and um you know as soon as i was you know i guess old enough in in their eyes uh they started bringing me to to loud to watch some of those races and and stuff like that and i i always had the itch and um, I remember, I remember one of my buddies, uh, Chris, he got racing go-karts and, um, their family owned a, a store down the street from us and they were practicing driving it around their store. It was like a perfect little circle. And, uh, we had like a little yard go-kart at the time. So we brought it down. We were following around the, the store and, uh, my dad's like, you think you'd want to try getting a racing go-kart and, and, and down the street at, at Beechridge because, at the time, they had Southern Maine Karting Association, uh, or Incorporated, uh, that was that features on Friday nights, um, and was seven years old at the time. So uh, they purchased a go-kart, and we we started racing go-karts, and uh, I was awful. I mean, obviously, I was just getting started, and I was, you know, getting my butt kicked. I was getting laughed, like, every five or six laughs, but you know, by the end of the season, I was, you know, winning my first race, and, um, you know, as you go, you, you move up through the ranks, and you know, you win races and championships and yeah, it was cool. But yeah, I guess it all started when I was a baby more than really seven years old, but, um, that's just something I've always, always wanted to pursue. And, um, I really had nothing holding me back after I graduated. I, you know, worked construction and a couple other odds and job, but my heart was still set in racing and, you know, obviously racing on, on your own, on your own dime. Uh, you know, my family and I, we didn't own a, own a company or anything so when i was still racing um i guess what would be down south like a limited late model type car back home here in the northeast uh you know sponsors were just hard to come by and everything and um i I didn't want to run my family dry so i made the decision to stop racing and like i was just i was miserable i was in a bad place and i was spotting for a buddy of mine Corey williams who's actually now one of the head fabricators um at hendrick motorsports and uh, I moved down to North Carolina. Um, I knew a guy that worked at a decal company. Uh, it was called Corporate Image at the time. Uh, has been since bought by Motorsports Designs. Um, did an interview there. I mean, this was like a quick, quick, quick thing. Like I was like, you know what? I need to do something. I'm miserable. 
I want to still be involved in racing, but I just, I need something different. I need, nothing's yeah. holding me back here. I need a change. Um, so I, I went down there, headed in, I mean, this was within a week's time, got a hold of the guy. He's like, actually, there's a guy that's literally leaving next week. We need to interview somebody. Can you be here in two days? So they bought my, bought my plane ticket, flew down there. They interviewed me. They said, can you be here in two weeks? I'm like, holy crap. So I said, yeah. Uh, so I went back. Uh, did a going away party, packed my stuff. My dad and I drove down, and uh, that pretty much started everything. Um, and then my buddy Corey moved down a month later. He raced at South Boston and then his Super Late model. I spotted for him, and uh, he moved down. He worked Andy Santer Motorsports uh, with his Bush East team at the time. And uh, I was spotting for him in the past South Super Late Model deal. We had a buddy of ours that moved down as well. I was working with Freddie Query on his Super Late Model program with Brian Scott, who is now retired um, from NASCAR. Um, but Brian, fast forward, uh, was best man in my wedding. I was the best man at his wedding. Wow. Um, that's kind of where it just all intertwines. Uh, we became friends because our buddy was working on Brian's car and um you know we all hung out and partied together and stuff and uh he needed a spotter one day for an arca race at uh pocono and i said man i'm, I'm not your guy i've never spotted a track over a mile and he's like no no I, I want you to do it. i want you to do it um so you know they flew me there they paid me did the whole you know kick and boodle deal and uh they about you know he he about killed himself <laughs> wrecking with frank kimmel off a of turn two uh the first race i spotted for i think i remember that it was bad. It was bad. Good. But uh, it was it was for the lead, for the lead actually. But um, I say off turn two. I'm I'm already screwing up because actually off turn one, turn one. Uh, they say three corners there. I still don't believe it. But uh, so anyway, so that all went well. They asked me if I wanted to uh, go the next week, and his family had just purged the team. Um, so I I said absolutely. So I I went the next week to Nashville, did the Arca deal and uh the truck deal with him and basically the rest is history i mean people you know every week people can listen to you and you know obviously if they think you do a good job then you know opportunities arise and um you know i just i mean i could go on and on and on i mean it's just uh, like you said i mean it starts from the bottom but there's there's so much to the story and uh you know in the end like just super fortunate and i i love my job career however you want to look at it yeah so you covered a lot of ground there, obviously. You hit on like all the stuff I had in my outline, so good for you. You did all my prep for me. Um, it seemed like racing was always going to be it, and if it wasn't going to be it, it was always going to be a part of your life in some way, form, or fashion. Did you feel that way too when you were growing up and even when you went to college and obviously after you kind of got back entrenched with it eventually, but did you feel that way when you were growing up in the sport that this is something you wanted to be a part of for a long, long time? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when I when I got out of high school, I wasn't I wasn't really sure what I want to do at that point. Like, you know, obviously people you know say they're going to go to college. They're not sure they're going to go to college. They they're not really you know, some people have perfect goals. And I, I guess I wasn't really sure what my perfect goal was going to be. Hmm. Um, I, I did know that I wanted to have some type of, you know, racing background but i mean obviously at that point like i knew i wasn't going to be a a race car driver or a professional right. race car driver at that point but i knew i still wanted to have some some type of racing still in my life whether that was going to be you know working in racing um you know whether it was nascar or you know working on you know a buddy's team and you know whether it be uh late models or whether it be you know just midget racing or wh whatever it might be um or just whatever. I, I don't know. I mean, could, it could have been anything at that point, yeah, but yeah. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't really sure. I just knew that obviously with as much as I grew up around it, I couldn't just, you know, totally completely let it go. But I knew the hardest part was obviously making that decision myself of, of letting go of racing myself, obviously now years down the road, once, you know, I, you know, finally became able to um, afford it myself and, and, you know, start racing again myself, that was, that was awesome. Um, but, uh, you know, getting rid of that was, was the hardest part of, of my life was not doing it and doing it for so long. And, you know, you know, not, not to be 
you know, conceded or anything like that. But I mean, you know, I, I was good at it when I was a little kid. I mean, we, we won a lot of races in go-karts. We traveled yeah. a lot. We won everywhere we went and we won championships. And I mean, we were, we were really good at it. And, you know, to, to have to get rid of it just up and be done just because, you know, sponsors are hard to come by or um, because we just didn't flat out own a business or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like that stunk. But um, now I have, you know, basically the, the second best thing. And, and honestly, I, I can't even really call it the second best thing because I don't think I could ever get inside a car or, you know, a cup car, Xfinity car, truck and, yeah. and ever be, it doesn't matter if I did for 10 years, I don't think I could be, good at it and now that i'm you know 35 years old or whatever and, and i love being able to i guess help people be good at it so yeah so you know a lot of drivers they hit that point where they've been doing it for a handful of years it's a family-backed effort and then it comes to a point where you know you gotta put up or shut up and you gotta pony up the money or you gotta give it a rest and it sounds like you hit that point you know, at a certain point in your life, maybe when you're around 15, 16, something like that. Um, how did that affect you personally? Because at that point, racing is all you'd ever known. You wanted to be a race car driver. You were a race car driver. And you're too young to really understand up until that point, the pitfalls of the industry and how it kind of works. So when you did have to eventually give it up for that point in time, how did that affect you? Uh, I mean, it was awful because I think it, it hurt my parents as much as it, it hurt me because i mean they they enjoyed it as much as i did i mean we were you know we were just a regular little mom and pop team that enjoyed getting up on a on a saturday morning and loading up and going to the track and and you know going to do what we enjoyed as a family like that was that was our that was our thing we enjoyed yeah. to do that and and you know i i think when i actually sat them down that day and, and told them hey listen like i love you guys to death and this kills me to say like I'm basically tired of spending your guys' money on doing this, but, you know, even with me working, you know, my job out of high school, like I still didn't, I wasn't making enough money to be able to, to do it. And yeah. I mean, hell, it, it got to the point to where I was getting more money from sponsors in the late nineties in the late nineties running go-karts than I was when I moved up to running, you know, limited late models, whatever wow. cars you would want to call it. It just, I mean, and granted, I guess once you got into the early 2000s, I guess that's when, you know, obviously the economy was starting to get towards that, uh, the bad point, you know, and stuff. And so obviously people couldn't, you know, afford to, to spend the money and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it was it was hard on all of us. But the hardest point was just, you know, seeing how it affected my, my parents, too, because, you know, they, they, you know, wholeheartedly enjoyed it as much as I did. But, um, you know, now we get to all enjoy it again, again together. And you know, they're, uh, it's funny cause my, my wife and my, my parents on, you know, Friday, Saturday and Sundays, they, uh, they have their own little setup on laptops or computers or whatever. And, and they listen, they listen to, you know, me spot for my driver. So it's, it's cool. That is cool. I find that interesting though, because most kids, I mean, maybe you weren't necessarily a kid at that point, but young adult, it's the opposite, right? The parents go to the kid or the driver and say, Hey, I know that this is what we've done and this is all we've known and we love it, but we can't afford this anymore. Like we got to stop. But it sounds like it was the opposite for your family. And you actually went to your parents and said, I'm tired of putting you guys in this position. So we got to stop. So I find that interesting. Maybe it's a testament to you, your character to have the foresight to be like, look, I don't feel good spending my parents' money, even though they're happy to do it. Like, this is not going to be able to last forever, so we might as well cut our losses now and try to fix whatever we can at this point. Because most people, it's the opposite. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, the writing was the writing was just kind of on, on the wall. I mean, we're just kind of at a standstill. And just, like I said, it just came, it came down to the sponsorship. Like, we just, we weren't able to, it was just getting less and less and less. And, yeah. you know, it's not like we were, it's not like we were just making more and more money. Like we were just making the same amount of money. And, you know, I, I wanted them to be able to, you know, re- retire when they wanted to be able to retire. And I wanted to be able to, you know, still enjoy my life as I guess a kid. And like, like I said, I, I knew I wasn't going to be a NASCAR driver. It was more or less just a hobby at that point. So, you know, I guess, it, you know, 
I, I guess that sounds bad because it, it sounds like I didn't really love the sport that much. Because sounds like I'm, you're a good son. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess I guess it does at that at that point. But yeah, um, I don't know. Just I guess I never really thought about it that much. But just I was just trying to make sense of everything at that time. I mean, I I did it from when I was seven or eight years old all the way up until I was. Well, I guess 18 or 19, you know, yeah. consistently. And it just got to the point to where it was just time to do something different. And, you know, looking at it now, I, you know, I made the right decision. I had a couple of years that was, that was a hard part of my life because I wasn't doing it. And I was, you know, watching, I was helping buddies that I used to race against. And I was, I was beating all the time, racing go-karts and stuff with, but um, looking at it now, I, I wouldn't change a thing. I, I'm happy and content with everything that I did. It made so me who go, I am now. So let's go back a little bit more in that in that story you told about how you got to this point, right? You knew that you wanted to stay in the sport. You just didn't know how necessarily you were going to do that. Uh, Brian Scott is mixed in there at some point, and you end up becoming a spotter, a top the spotter stand, but you didn't just get there with a snap of your fingers overnight. Um, when did you first realize or come to grips with the fact that you knew that you wanted to be involved in the sport still or from the day that you hung up your helmet for a full-time basis as a teenager did you know that you were going to do that or did it come after high school when you kind of stopped doing your other job that was outside of racing uh well, i mean I, I thought the spotting thing was like really just just a hobby and like I, I really was enjoying doing the decal thing down there like i was you know I, I got to go and like wrap wrap cup cars and wrap cup haulers and like do all do all this cool vinyl stuff down there with corporate image and, and motorsports designs and i mean i was having a blast doing it like it was i was meeting a lot of cool people and you know at, at the time for my age I was, I was making pretty decent money and um you know i was living in north carolina i was having a blast you know and yeah. um my friends were able to fly down and visit and you know i was able to fly back every once in a while and visit friends and family so i mean i, I was living the dream right like i was having a good time um but then you know, when I was spotting for my buddy Corey down there and we were winning races left and right, like he was, he was lighting the world on fire down there in the South. And then when, when Brian had asked me to spot for him and, you know, it went well. And then we did the next week and that went well. And then next thing you know, like they were happy with stuff. I'm like, didn't really think much of it, but then like just all these opportunities just kind of kept happening. I'm, I, I just, I was like, well, I, I, maybe I'm going to be good at this. I, I don't know. And then, <laughs> then you kind of start seeing like, all right, well, this is kind of, you know, decent money in this too. And, and I, this is kind of fun, you know, like, you know, you're kind of, you're not driving the car, but like you're, it's, it's competition, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't go there to finish last. Like I, I don't go there just to collect the paycheck. You know, I, I'm not happy when we wreck out, we finish 36. I'm not happy when we go there and we finish 15th. I'm not happy when we have a restart. And like at Phoenix when we were second and we finished third, like mm -hmm. I wanted to win, you know what I mean? So like, I, I'm, I'm still passionate about it. So, um, like the, the competition side is, is what I think drives me on, on everything. And when, when I got to do that and, and the competition level side of it is, I think what just kept the fire going for me. And it's, I think that's the biggest part is just yeah. the fire of the competition just keeps it going. Is it fair to say that you kind of stumbled into spotting? It sounds like that's kind of how it happened. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely stumbled. I never thought that that was going to be something. I mean, Corey, I remember plain as day, uh, he asked me at White Mountain Motorsports Park in Woodstock, New Hampshire. I can't You're remember the year. You're as northeast as they get, man. <laughs> but I am. I am. <laughs> I don't, I pronounce my R's though. So, and I still live here in Maine, uh, yep. but I learned how to pronounce my R's by living in North Carolina for nine and a half years. So that's good. Um, but no, I remember it plain as day. Uh, White Mountain Motorsports Park in Woodstock, New Hampshire. He was racing there in a pass north race. And uh, he asked me a spot for him. And it went awful. Like, I remember uh, there was a car inside. And uh, I said, inside. And the guy, like, backed out. He said, scratch that. Like, who the hell says scratch that? Like, nobody says that. You don't say <laughs> scratch that. They're either inside or they're not, you know? So, don't fast forward. I definitely don't say that anymore, you know, yeah. but um, I definitely stumbled upon it. So, yeah. Did you lean on anybody when you first became one and you realized, okay, you know, I, I enjoy this. I can get the competition itch and scratch that 
from this perspective because as you know i mean there's there's spotters on the arca level truck xfinity and cup a lot of them do all four you do all four but when you were first starting was there one or maybe a couple group of people that you leaned on to glean information from and learn the rope so to speak uh so i don't know if i really leaned on anybody but i know uh you know when i first started i know i, I listened to a lot of guys now fast forward i don't listen to anybody now because now i have my own certain way of, of doing things and you don't yeah. want to you know the people i spot for now for the most part like everybody's happy with how i do things and that's why i do my job for them is because that, of how i do my job so right. but like then like i listened to a lot of people because i wanted to pick up on certain innuendos and and stuff like that but um you know i remember mike herman jr um who spots for uh you know the 17 cup card now and um, you know, he spots for all series as well. Um, he was spotting for uh, a Venturini car as well, which that's who Brian was spotting for, or sorry, was driving for. He was driving for Venturini that weekend right. um, in Arca. And so obviously, like, I leaned on him because, like, I didn't know how to get to the spotter stand. I didn't know where the spotter stand was. Uh, I didn't know where I was supposed to stand because, like, you know, if you ever come up to a spotter stand, like, we all mark off our tape, like, where yeah. we stand, it's all that fraternity. stuff. It's yeah. It is like we write down our we write down our little notes and all that. So, um, so I leaned on him, you know, for like the first couple of weeks of of like how to get up up to um, certain places and stuff. And um, you know, and then uh, who doesn't spot with us anymore in NASCAR as of you know a year or two ago, um, Rocky Ryan. Um, you know, I remember he was the first one to to chew my ass. He went to it hard at Richmond. What'd you do? Um, I can't. I can't remember Brian. Something. What wrong. do we do? Yeah, we, we we wrecked somebody off a of turn two in an Xfinity race, or at the time it was nationwide or something. Um, we turned somebody off a of turn two, or wrecked somebody, whatever. And and he came down. He was and he was he was spotting for Jeff Burton, I think, at that Holiday Inn car, actually for oh, RCR. Yeah. I mean, he and he just chewed me up one side, down the other, and uh, I can't remember really why and, and what was said, but you know, I, I mean, just. I gained a lot of respect for those guys of, of you know, what really goes into it and, 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 you know, how much heart and, and time goes into the job, you know? And, um, so yeah, I mean, there was, there was a lot to learn and, and I learned quick, I can tell you that. So, uh, yeah. and, and now I have all my, my spots and, and I make sure that a lot of the rookies that do come up there now, um, I try not to be one of those hard ass guys on, like I try to be one of the ones that will kind of be like, or, hey, listen, like that's so-and-so spot. Like, make sure you yeah. kind of file in, file in somewhere where there's no tape yet or something like that. Right. There's enough hard asses on the roof. You, you can be the nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it was almost, it seems like baptism by fire in, in the sense of you don't know what you don't know. So whether it's seeing a spot marked off and being like, oh, that'll, that'll be my spot. That's fine. Um, never mind. Or, or what did you say on the radio? You said, uh, take that back. I forgot. Scratch that. Scratch that. <laughs> I mean, just little <laughs> things on the radio that you do say or you don't say and how oh, to present yeah, these words in a, in a concise, efficient manner. You obviously learn that as you go and you gain experience, but I'm sure that looking back on some of the early days when you got your ass chewed like that, you didn't yeah. know what you didn't know at that point, but that's just part of it. I mean, you learn on the job and spotting is an on-the-job training type of thing where you need Correct. to be able to do the job to learn how to do the job. And it seems like it's a lot that way in spotting in a NASCAR in general. I've learned a lot of lessons up there in a hurry. And I have a lot of respect for a lot of the guys that have, I mean, you know, you have Tim Fidoa up there, Rick Corelli, a lot of guys that have, you know, a lot of, you know, years and years of experience of, you know, yeah. holding the wheel around a lot of those tracks. And, um, there's just a lot of great guys that you get to work with up there. I mean, yeah, you're competing against them and stuff like that, but, you know, at the end of the day, you also are standing next to a lot of those guys that you see more than your families. If you really look at it at the end of the day, like mm -hmm. for the most part, yeah, we do get, you know, two months off of racing at the end of the year. But um, you got to remember, too, there's also three or four days throughout the week when, when the season does start that, you know, we see each other more than we do see our families at hours yeah. and on hours at, you know, throughout the day. So do you have uh, a few guys that are atop the spotter stand that you go to dinner with or hang out with more than any others or since you're in Maine and kind of out of the bubble that is Charlotte, North Carolina, are you kind of a lone wolf? I like to think that I get along with, with most of the guys up there. Um, 
But I mean, for the most part, the guys that go to to dinner together, most of the guys go together with with their teammates because most right. of them, you know, ride together, you know, in vehicles together. So I mean, it's just easy to go to dinner uh, or whatever it is um, with the people that you're riding to and from the track with. Um, but especially on like on Sundays, we uh, we call it the commercial camaraderies uh, that that fly commercial. So um, <laughs> there's there's a handful of us like uh, my my teammate spotter who spots for Austin Dillon. Uh, he lives in Idaho, um, so him and I will go to dinner on Sunday nights. Um, Chris Monez, who spots for Ty Dillon, yep. uh, he lives in California. Um, uh, who else? Um, Tony Hirschman, who spots for uh, Kyle Busch, um, David Pepper. Like, there's there's a you know handful of us that that will go out to dinner and stuff on Sunday nights if we can, if if we have to stay over Sunday night or if mm-hmm. our flights aren't until late. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, you know, Brandon and I go out to dinner almost every single night because, you know, we ride together to and from the track on you know, Friday and Saturday. Sunday just depends on, you know, whether I'm getting out Sunday or if he's getting out Sunday or if we have to fly out on Mondays. But um, but like I was saying before I before I froze, um, you know, obviously, you know, all of us stand elbow to elbow, you know, three or four days out of the week. And, you know, we, we, we see each other more. And we, we see most of our families. So, yeah. Um, you know, for the most part, we have we have a relationship that's um, pretty pretty decent. You know, there's obviously some of us don't really get along, but I mean, you're gonna have that with any job. So yeah, is what it is. Yeah, you like some family members, you don't like others. You have that weird cousin. It's it's normal. Spotters are just like us, normal people, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> So you obviously keep very, very busy, Derek. You got Tyler Reddick on the cup side, which is where most people can probably hear you and have heard your voice before, seen you on Radioactive, whatever. But you're also spotting for Austin Hill in the Xfinity Series this year, first year with him, Corey Heim in the Truck Series, Daniel Dye in ARCA, and you've done a, a bunch more drivers in the past, which we'll get to. But that is a busy, busy schedule with four, I mean, sometimes even five drivers as well, uh, doing different stuff with KBM. I know that you probably do have to tailor the way that you spot from driver to driver, and especially with different ones that are younger or that you're newer with, you got to develop that chemistry and they got to be able to trust you. How is that to navigate? Because working with somebody like Tyler, who you have worked with for a while and you guys have that inner trust versus somebody like Daniel Dye or Austin Hill, who you recently started working with, you got to kind of build that camaraderie from scratch. Yeah, so you know it's it's funny you asked that question because I was actually kind of nervous going into the season to spot for uh, Austin Hill just because <clears throat> like he definitely seems like a guy that is very much like me, kind of a, a redneck type of dude that you know likes to go out in the woods and hunt and yeah. you know just just that type of guy, and he very much is. Um, but he definitely seemed like somebody that you know like like Tyler loves a ton of information, just likes to be talked to and you know, whatever. So Austin doesn't seem like that type of guy. Um, but it's actually very much opposite. Like he hmm. loves all kinds of information and like really can't get enough of it. And we, we actually got to sit down in December. I was down there in Charlotte for uh, the cup test and they had a, I think we tested like a Tuesday and a Thursday or something like that. And mm-hmm. Wednesday in between, we didn't have anything going on. So uh, our Xfinity crew chief and Austin, we went and had breakfast. And it was the first time I ever got to meet him. And the first time I ever got to work with him was at was at Daytona. But we got to go over a bunch of stuff at, at breakfast, just kind of filled him and on how I spotted and like just different lingos on what I would say if we ever got to the lead and stuff at Daytona on how to control lines and um on just i don't want to like say too much but like how like i would how i would say things and stuff just to kind of give them an idea before we got to go out there just because we obviously weren't going to have a whole lot of practice um and then we go to daytona and and, and we win the damn thing and it was (laughs) it just worked out it it worked out great you know so um he's a he's awesome he's a pleasure to work with a great guy great family and and it's been fun and i'm looking forward to the season with him um, and then as far as, you know, like Daniel and Corey, like they're obviously, you know, pretty, pretty new to this whole deal. And they pretty much just let me do my, you know, Corey, we're pretty much only, you know, a, a race in. So this, this weekend's going to be, um, pretty new. And obviously Atlanta's new to all of us since they've re- mm-hmm. restructured it. So, um, 
Friday will be interesting for practice, depending on rain and everything. Um, but they both pretty much have just kind of let me do my deal and just get used to me and how I spot. And then they just pretty much ask questions after. But there's obviously a lot of talk beforehand on, you know, what I say and how I say it and what it all means and all that before we go into a race. But, you know, so, so far, so good. No complaints. Um, you know, I thought spotting for Kyle at Las Vegas was going to be, you know, way different just because of all the um, experience he has and stuff. But, you know, I had to spot my ass off because I mean, he's driving the hell out of it. And yeah. we're, you know, inside middle, middle of this, middle of here, going, going all over the place. And, um, but it was, it was great. And, uh, you know, for the most part, I mean, you know, we didn't win the race, but, um, no complaints and he was fun to work with. Do you find yourself at all, maybe driving the car a little bit proverbially, especially with the younger guys that you spot for, because you can never take that driver out of the driver, even though you're a spotter now, I'm sure that, you know, again, you don't know what you don't know when you first start spotting. The same can be said for Daniel and Corey and some of the other younger guys that you've worked with. Do you ever maybe like give them a little tidbit of information and say, hey, you know, arc your entry a little bit here. This will give you a good runoff, et cetera, et cetera, because I know you and I know you still know how to get it done behind the wheel. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't want to say like I, I try to drive the car, but I mean, like you, you try to help control certain situations or, um, you know, give them certain info and push them to make different decisions and than what you think that they are going to make, you know, and, and same with Tyler. Like, I mean, I, I still try to, you know, make him go a different route than what I think he's going to try to do. Um, you know, especially like restarts and stuff on, you know, we have the choose rule on what I think, what lane I think would be a better choice. And, um, you know, the other night with Daniel and the, and the, the Arca race, you know, we had gotten the lead a couple times on the bottom lane and, you know, I, I felt like it was my fault because we didn't talk about it under caution. I thought he was just automatically going to choose the bottom because we had gotten the lead a couple of times on the bottom and he actually chose the top. And I was like, Oh crap. Why, why did you just do that? And yeah, uh, we ended yeah. up losing the, losing the race kind of because of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to say you driving the car, but yeah, you, you, you try to, you try to, I don't know, you, you try to help control certain yeah. di situations because I mean, it, it's pretty much your job. You know, you don't, you don't, they're learning you know, some of the younger guys they're learning and you're trying to help them and teach them why that works because you have more experience at those places, even though you're not driving it, but like, you, you know, the certain circumstances that you know, they're going to be in and why you are no stranger to victory lane. You're no stranger to winning championships. You've done that multiple times in your career. You did it with Tyler Reddick and Xfinity. You did it with Sheldon Creed a couple of years ago in the truck series. I understand that this is like a very cliche question, but how does it feel to win a championship knowing that you actually had a hand in getting that team to victory lane and getting them into a championship position? I mean, it's not like you're just tinkering on a car once a week back at the shop or you're following along from afar. You are there every week working hand in hand with the driver, with the team. You are a big part of that team. So how does it feel to win a championship at NASCAR's top level? It's a, uh, it's phenomenal. I, when I got doing this, you know, I, my goal was to try to, when I started spotting at, you know, professional levels, like I wanted to be, you know, a spotter and cut by the time I was 30. And I think I, I started spotting for Juan Pablo when I was 26, I think is when I started spotting and cup. So, I mean, I, I already exceeded that expectation yep. and, you know, and that was awesome. And then to, you know, go ahead and, um, you know, win the Xfinity championship and then win a truck championship and, you know, kind of two ARCA championships was, I mean, it's, it's been phenomenal. I mean, I, I have a couple certain more goals I, I still want to meet, um, but it's, it's been, it's been great. I mean, it's, I'm fortunate in everything I've been able to do and, um, but there's always still more things you want to accomplish. And I'm just lucky that, you know, I'm the one that gets chosen to work with, you know, great drivers and great teams. And um, I'm just along for the ride. I hope that my, my eyes and my voice sticks with me and I can <laughs> keep being, I guess the one that gets chosen to do it. And, um, I'm just lucky, I guess. 
how'd you get hooked up with Juan Pablo and Chip Ganassi Racing? Because I think if my research is correct, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, that was your first cup spotting gig. So how'd you get hooked up with the folks over there? Yeah, so it was actually, that was really my first full-time cup gig. I was doing like the, what was it, the, uh, what was it, the, one of those, like I think like the 23 cup car. Oh yeah, BK Racing. Yeah, BK Racing, thank you. I was doing like one of those for a couple races, and then I went over and did like the 32 fast racing like that yep. was like reed Sorensen, ken schrader terry labani um like a bunch of those guys were in it um for that year um and then at the end of that year um chris heroy had called and jeff dickerson was the one that was spotting for uh juan pablo that year but he was getting done and i guess he's the one like, i didn't even know he was getting done but and i really didn't even know jeff that well but i guess he had recommended me uh to them um, and I didn't even know any of this was going on. And all of a sudden my phone rang and, uh, it was the week of the Charlotte, like it was actually Sunday and the test was Tuesday, Wednesday. And, uh, my phone rang and, and shine Chris Heroy, that was his nickname. Um, he uh, called and said, Hey, he's like, uh, this is Chris Heroy, crew chief for the 42 cup car. Um, we're going to have an opening for a spotter for Juan this year. Uh, you came highly recommended from, Jeff Dickerson, we were wondering if you would uh, be interested. And I was like, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm interested. Um, I'm in. What do, yeah, what do you need me to do? And they're like, well, we have a we have a test at Charlotte this week. I'm like, this week? They're like, yeah, on Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm like, that's like in a day. They're like, yeah, they're, can, can you do it? I'm like, absolutely. I'll, I'll figure out a way to do it. So um, I went and did it, and the second day got like rain shortened or something like that. And uh, they had me come in the next week and, and do paperwork and everything like that. And um i mean we we had a great year we almost won richmond we almost won dover mm-hmm. um like it, it was it was a great season and that was the last season he raced so it wasn't the year that he hit the jet dryer so before no. anybody asked that all right so it I wasn't was that year um <laughs> yeah um so it was, a, it was a great year um and then you know i ended up spotting there for six or seven years um i obviously got transferred to uh the larson era and and with him and then i moved on with uh with tyler and yeah it's been it's been a hell of a ride before we go to the larson era and to tyler i um i did some intel derek and i've been told that you got a nickname atop the spotter stand and it originated from the juan pablo montoya days it did why do people call you daddy uh <laughs> i don't know we were we were in the holler one day up in a meeting and something was said and i was i can't remember if it was me or if it was him. i think it was i think it was me like something was said i was like ah i was like daddy likey you know and he's you know one like he's just you know a, a funny flooring guy and he's yeah. like he's like ah oh, daddy like he's like oh. he like you know he like punched me in the shoulder he's like oh, that's funny that's funny you know like okay you know i like, didn't think anything of it so okay. we're at darlington we're at darlington and, you know, we're halfway through the race and caution comes out and I can't remember what was said. He said something. And then, uh, he, he, he said, uh, oh, yeah, 10, four daddy <laughs> he starts chuckling. I'm like, I, I, I can't believe he just said that. So I mean, they just, oh and then it just stopped. And then like, he kept saying it and then shine kept saying it. And then the oh team guys God. kept saying it. And then, Incredible. I mean, and then, you know, obviously, like Larson was, you know, once he was coming into there, so like, he would be on the box listening or whatever. And so once he got rolled into there, he just automatically was like, he loved it. So he just he kept saying, he's always mm-hmm. said it. He still does. Yeah, you know, we keep in touch. I mean, we're we're buddies. There's no love. You know, we still get along great. There's no hard feelings there. But he still does, and Tyler does. I mean, I mean even Daniel does. Like I just just met Daniel Die, and he he does. He, he, you probably could be his dad, literally. <laughs> God, I just, I don't like the fact of knowing that I'm, that I could be someone's dad. I mean, I, I am, like, I don't feel that old, but I am You could be his dad, but you're everybody's daddy, apparently. Yeah, I, I'm just daddy, I guess. <laughs> I the know. fact that a Formula One world champion, 
Indy 500 champion, or I don't even know if he's an F1 world champion. Juan Pablo's done so much stuff. The fact that this man is just calling you daddy casually on the radio, that's got to be one of my favorite things. Wow. It's funny. It's funny. And he did it, in like, all the time. I bet if I saw him right now, he would, that would probably be the first thing he would say to me. I can just imagine in his Colombian accent, too. Like, that is tremendous. That's great. Oh, and he giggles every time. He'd say, Daddy. <laughs> that poor daddy? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's exactly how it would go. <laughs> oh, my His God. little giggle. Yeah, his little JPM giggle. Great. That's so funny. Oh, yeah. Wow. So as you mentioned, you know, you stay at CGR. You worked with Kyle Larson for his um, upbringing into the Cup Series with Chip Ganassi Racing. Um, so you obviously were there before he got there, but being with him as he kind of rose into stardom and got his first couple victories there, he's obviously now doing great things, a defending Cup champion, all that good stuff. And you, you mentioned you guys are still friends, your families are close and everything like that. What was yep. it like to work with him who maybe has some similarities to Tyler Reddick, who you're working with now, a guy who has a dirt racing background, is an absolute wheelman, so much raw, natural talent behind the wheel of a race car, and you get to work with him and try to point him in the right direction. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was actually a, a pretty easy um, uh, transition into working with him. I mean, we got to – we obviously had some testing and stuff we did during the offseason when, uh, you know, I went into to working with him and – um, he obviously ran a lot of the Xfinity races as well. So we had, you know, two races a weekend that we were working together. So, I mean, it was just, a, it was just a really quick transition of, of getting to be able to, to work together. And yeah. we had a, obviously a, a lot of success in, in Xfinity. I don't know how many races we ended up winning together. A through. lot. It was a lot. Yeah. I, I want to, it was, I don't know, it was probably 15 races or, or more, I would say, um, but no, it was it was great. I mean, he, you know, he. I feel like he trusted everything you know, I ever said, and uh, we we never had any real arguments. I think he might have snapped at me like one time, but I mean, you're gonna you're gonna have that. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on inside the car. You know, so um, and then obviously we got we got the first cup win, and then he. I think we ended up winning like five or six cup races together there at CGR, and um, you know, and then uh, it just became time that. Uh, it was time for me to uh, move on. Um, nothing that had to do with him, but just things of why I wasn't happy there. So uh, I moved on and I went on with, with Tyler and Tyler is basically like you just, like you just touched on. He is basically the same exact person as Kyle. And actually they, they grew up racing um, outlaw cars together out in California, you know? So, I mean, if it wasn't Kyle winning, it was Tyler. If it wasn't Tyler winning, it was Kyle. So, um, you know, that's a, like I said, a transition wise, it's, it's like sparring for the same person. And, you know, Tyler obviously used to drive at CGR. So, I mean, there was one year where Kyle drove and Tyler was driving. So, you know, I had Tyler for a while. So that was easy when, uh, the year that the 42 Xfinity car got shut down and Tyler called me, um, and asked if I could spot for him that year at RCR. And then, you know, we went on to win, you know, six or seven Xfinity races and plus the championship. Yep. And then I went into that, that next year, um, starting to spot for him, um, you know, in the cup series. So it's, uh, it's been, it's been awesome. And we, you know, we get along great. And I mean, our, our cup wins like right, right there. Dude, you're right there. And once right. the floodgates open, you know, it's just going to come pouring in. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't, I don't want to toot the horn, but if, if we don't have a shot to get it at Coda, then. I'll be surprised. Toot that horn, brother. Do it all you Toot want. That horn. <laughs> yeah. He's he's phenomenal at road courses. If we can he is. we just we just need that luck barrier to get broken and we're gonna be right there. How do you think the job of spotting has evolved since you got into it to what it is now? I mean, Chris Lambert said that it's essentially changed completely. And especially from Absolutely. when spotters first began to be on the roof. I mean, it's night and day, but when you first got into it to now which has been, you know, almost 15 years, not to age you, but I mean, it's, yeah. it's clearly evolved a lot in terms of technology, drivers, tracks, cars, but also the job itself and the roles that you do. Well, I mean, so when we, I basically started, I mean, we didn't have, you know, the fan visions, like we didn't have timing and scoring, like we didn't have all that. You had so a radio was, and binoculars. That's about it. Yeah. You had radio and binoculars. Um, and that was basically it. And like, and you didn't really have like the, like, I hate to say like the blocking or whatever, like you didn't really 
have all that. Like, you didn't really have, like, on what lanes are coming and how the how, like, to control them and all that. And, like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just all, like you said, it's all evolved and changed so much. And, and now, like, since when fan, like, I know fan vision's gone now, but, like, when the fan vision was around and the timing of scoring came into it, like, now we have all that. And, you know, now we're, now we're giving lap times and we're telling, you know, what drivers are doing on different lines that are running and, you know, what, what lanes they're running and um, what laps people are on and different strategies that, other teams are running with tires, you know, when guys pit, if they took two, if they're on four, if there's just a few mm-hmm. only, um, it, it's completely changed. And then when, you know, NASCAR did the whole um, qualifying deal, when, you know, you would have to go out there and everybody would qualify at the same time. Like that became like a whole, you know, dog and pony show of like, all right, hey, this guy's going, so we need to try to get a toe off of him. Like, yeah. Oh, oh, the the clouds are out. We need to go because the track's cooler. Like, like everything just came like so much more on our shoulders because you know we were basically the ones dictating on whether you're going and how good the lap was going to be and whether you mm-hmm. got the pole or whether you're thirtieth. And like everything's just totally changed because it's just not the oh hey inside outside clear anymore. It's you know we're we're basically you know just controlling way more and you know like now like I love it with with my crew chiefs because now i i'm used to it this way with where they basically just run everything through channel two with me and i you know relay everything on channel one which Mm -hmm. that's really the way it should be anyway because if the crew chief can't see the driver they really don't need to be talking to him anyway because if something happens and they can't see him and i can't talk to them while they're talking to him and we get into a wreck well they can't really blame the spotter because they can't see him when they're talking to him yeah but it's completely changed. I mean, it's our, our job is, has, you know, it's, it's not like it's, I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain until you're really up there and you got the headset on and, I bet. and, and, you're, and you're doing it. But um, I wouldn't change it for anything. Cause I think the busier we are, like, I don't know. I think it's and challenging. It is it kind of makes it more fun. I mean, I remember Chris was telling me and you see it and you hear it on the radio during the race, too, you guys are moving, slinging deals, shaking hands. Hey, can you give it? Give us the inside. Give us the outside. Where, where, when are you pitting? When are you coming? Are we coming with you? I mean, there is so much that is going on off the radio that nobody hears when they're listening at home. You guys are yeah. getting your steps in up there because you're just talking to everybody down there and getting the lap cars out of the way. It's so much more than just telling them where the cars are and what to do. And they don't hear any of that stuff, but I think the the fabric of being a good spotter, at least from what I've heard and what I've talked to uh, the spotters say is, you know, if you can keep the driver calm and unaware of all the chaos that's happening around them, surrounding the pit stop or what's going on around them on the racetrack, if they're unaware of that, that means that you're kind of doing your job in the sense of you're getting everything out of the way so that you can lead them through to the promised land. Do you think that's fair? Absolutely. So I want to hit on a couple more things because I know I got to let you run, but you still do racing yourself. I know that you yep. can't give that up. You still do a handful of races a year. Um, Cheyenne is the name of your race car. Is that right? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. She looks fine. She looks very fine. Um, Thank you. Berlin, Lee, Five Flags. I know you're going there this year. Do you got any more on the docket that we can expect to see yet? Um, no, that's that's probably the plan for this year. I mean, there's, there's plenty of more races that we probably um, could have gone to, but I raced like seven or eight times last year, um, and I, you know, I I thought we were going to race less this year NASCAR wise, but I feel like we're we're racing more. <laughs> but uh, you got four drivers to take care of. You're a busy man. Yeah, I, know. I know, but uh, the issue is is it's just last year was was so hard with the races that some of the races that I raced myself was trying to compete with not compete but get back or from or to from yeah. from nascar races you know so yeah. like last year like i raced the oxford 250 you know i was lucky and fortunate enough that the only reason that i got back from um daytona in enough time was because you know somebody that i know had chartered a plane for me to be able to get back from daytona like that's a one time once in a lifetime deal for me to yeah be, to be able to do that like who, who gets to be able to fly private? That doesn't happen. Yeah. It doesn't happen. So um, I just didn't, I didn't want to be able to, I didn't want to have to compete with being able to go back and forth or, you know, be at a NASCAR race on 
a Saturday and then try to fly home on early on a Sunday morning to race on a, on a Sunday afternoon when what if the NASCAR race gets rained out on Saturday night and then, you know, I have obligations with sponsors or something. Sounds like a logistical nightmare. I cannot imagine. And and then, and then I'm not able to make that race up and these sponsors are like, Oh, Hey, well you said you were going to race this race or, you know, you have to make this race up. And it's like, well, I I can't find another race to do. So um, with that being said, I was like, I'm just going to pick a couple races, but with doing that, I want to do something different and I wanted to travel to some different places I've never been to and try them out and have, and have some fun. So yeah, we're going to Jeff Striegel, who uh, is, you know, one of the voices of, of MRN, Yes. Uh, he he basically talked me into uh, to go into Berlin. I love it, and, and the place looks cool, and, and I'm excited to go. And it looks like uh, there's a lot of a lot of heavy hitters going there. But um, you know, I'm I'm down for the challenge. It looks like a fun place, and we're gonna go try that June 8th, and then uh, Lee, which really isn't that far um, from from where I live. It's you know probably only an hour and a half or so. Uh, that's on Loudon weekend anyway. So so that'll be that'll be Good cool deal. to go try that. And then uh, Five Flags, that's obviously going to be a haul, but that's you know that's at the end of the year, so we've got plenty of time to um, it's a big one to figure, to figure that all out. And I've always watched that. I've gone to it a, a bunch of times and, and spotted for uh, some, for some friends of mine and stuff. And I just you know I, my car's a crate car anyway, so um, I thought it'd be cool to go down there and and uh, finally try the snowflake. So hopefully this will be the the year that we get to try it. Fingers crossed for you. Do you Cross. think being a being a racer still helps you spot? Because there's a lot of former drivers on the spotter stand, but you're one of the few that does it currently. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it really helps because I mean, it's it's such different styles of of racing mm-hmm. that I, I don't I don't know I I don't I don't think it really helps anymore. But okay. I I mean, there's so many guys like like you look at. Like Tony Hirschman is a great example. Like his father and his brother are were and are phenomenal race car drivers, mm-hmm. and like his brother is probably the best modified racer out there right now, if, arguably. And her, Tony is probably one of the best spotters on the spotter stand, and he has never driven a race car in his mm-hmm. life. And does he have a psychology it, degree too? Yes, he does. So yeah. cool random yeah cool. he, he's actually gonna spot for me this year so hopefully hopefully awesome if i if i need it he can talk me off a ledge i think he car. will he, he can do it every week with kyle so he can do it with yeah, you exactly too. yeah true <laughs> um but yeah so um you know just i think it's just understanding you know what you're seeing and and being able to explain uh what you're seeing you know and and, and the right and correct terminology um but i do think for for me my racing background and I guess just being able to stay calm and use the correct yeah. terminology for my guys is what helped me with being able to spot. But um, I think with racing backgrounds and like being able to how to work pedals and you know switches and stuff like that is what's helped me with being able to help certain drivers, just like you know with covering brake and when to use switches on brake fans and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like that stuff, I think, has been able to help you know, with some of my drivers, like I, I know, like if I had never raced, like I would definitely have to lean on, you know, my crew chief or engineers on like, right. you know, hell, I don't know what these fans do. I don't know, you know, why, you know, dragging the brake further around the corner to keep yeah. the nose planted or better drive off. It's like unspoken you know, things that just help. Yeah. Right. So, um, but yeah, for, for me going forward, like, I don't think like me still racing helps that, but I do think that my racing background helped initially. Last thing, in terms of hobbies, I know you like to snowmobile up north back home, uh, ice fishing as well, and I saw that you taught Tyler and took him on a little ice fishing escapade this offseason. That looked pretty fun. I did. It was cool. So I was actually ice fishing that week, and uh, Alexa, his girlfriend, reached out. She's like, oh, my God, are you ice fishing? I'm like, I am. And she's like, oh, my God, I've always wanted to do it. I was like, well, my my family and my wife's family we're all getting together and we're doing a big ice fishing outing this weekend because it was supposed to be nice uh if you guys want to go and you know I, I thought i was like you know i'll invite them but no way they're gonna come well next thing you know like a day later they booked their tickets and her and tyler and Bo like they they flew up for like three days and that's awesome um, we we went ice fishing and the cool thing is they came to my favorite type of ice fishing which is northern pike fishing because i mean 
you can you can get into some huge huge fish and i mean they're just they're fun did you catch and, anything uh, good we did we caught we caught like i think the first one that i ended up getting through the ice was was a pig it was huge wow. um and then uh so like one of the one of the pictures uh that i think i posted uh, you can probably find on one of my social media things mm-hmm. but i think is uh was a was a huge was a huge pike it was like 30 something inches long um tyler and i were both in the picture so he got to experience what what that was like uh he didn't listen to me though i, I told him i was like your boots you brought i go those are not gonna work like your feet are gonna get cold you need to use one of my pair of boots and he was and he didn't listen and his feet did get cold so i had to put him in the shack and get his feet warmed up but um, rookie rookie absolutely but he uh <laughs> They did have a good time. They said they'd love to do it again. So um, he was he was a good sport about it because I mean that's how many drivers do you know that you know that go and, and do that type of stuff with their spotter. So I, oh, yeah. that meant a lot to me and, and my family and uh, just just really cool. I mean he's he I don't it hasn't gone to his head that you know he's he is who he is and and I don't think he realizes he's as good as as what he is. So yeah. I think that's probably a testament to your guys' relationship. And Tyler's, I mean, Tyler, what you see is what you get. I was on a different show with them like two weeks ago, and he talked for like 10 minutes about farting in the car, and he just didn't think anything of it. Like, that's that's just Tyler, you know? That's just Tyler. Yeah. yeah. He is he is one of a kind. He is a peach, that's sure for is. sure. <laughs> he sure is. I got no doubt that he'll be in victory lane soon, and you'll be right there with him. I so appreciate your time, man. This has been great to catch up, get to know you a little bit better, and learn your story. And I feel like we're only scratching the surface, and I know that you guys are only scratching the surface on the racetrack too. So we'll have you back. I know we'll see you in victory lane soon. Best of luck down the road, and we'll be seeing you at the racetrack down the road too. Absolutely. Thank you, Davey. Appreciate you having me on. And we're back. Whew, what a chat. What a guy. Thank you so much to Derek, and also thank you to Marissa Fuller. Love Marissa of RCR Racing for helping coordinate that conversation. I love trying to spotlight guys that are not your usual driver, crew chief, manufacturer, owners. And I really like talking to Spotter because they have such unique perspectives on the sport. So again, Derek, thank you so much for the time, brother. I so appreciate it. And I look forward to catching up with you soon. Even though he didn't get that win at Coda, I still think that that win's coming for the number eight team in Tyler Reddick. I know we got to tie up a couple more loose ends and it's a couple weeks back in the rear view now, but just briefly touching on Atlanta Motor Speedway or Atlanta Motor Super Speedway, as it should be called now. Obviously, it was a wild race. William Byron wins it. Super Speedway-esque. Two by two by two. Some three wide. Lot of wrecking. Long, long race. I think I echo a lot of people's sentiments. Good for SMI for trying something new. Glad that it worked for him. I don't want to see this at every mile and a half repave moving forward. I, I really don't. And I'm going to be an optimist as uh, one of my mentors and former guests on the show, Jeff Gluck, was a bit of a pessimist. He thinks that, you know, this could be the model for mile-and-a-half repaves moving forward. I don't think that'll be the case. I really hope that's not the case. And a lot of the drivers think so, too. You know, they basically are saying, look, we understand why they did it. They like super speedways. The fans like it. It it draws good ratings and good numbers. It's good racing. It's good optics. But we don't want this everywhere. Six times is plenty in a 36-race season. Four times is plenty. So if you're going to add two more, let's cap it there. But good on Marcus Smith and the folks at SMI for – Trying something new. Clearly worked. And then, obviously, I went on vacation. Had a great time. I'm not going to bore you with those details because I don't want to be that guy that gets on here and talks about my vacation. But it was fun. I tried to follow along as much as I could in the NASCAR world. I saw a lot of stuff going on. Brad Keselowski getting penalized. Uh, Brad Perez. Oh, what a story. Love Brad. So happy for him that he got to make his truck series debut and outran Will Rogers by the way, by one spot. Top 20 for the bread man at Coda. But the Circuit of the Americas was a great race weekend. No rain, which was a breath of fresh air, literally. And obviously the Cup Series was the main show. And Ross, the boss, the watermelon man, Chastain, he finally gets it done in his 121st career Cup Series start. Trackhouse Racing, first win in the Cup Series. Ross Chastain, first win in the Cup Series. What a finish to do it, too. Knocking A.J. Allmendinger out of the way. Knocking Alex Bowman out of the way. Doing what he had to do to get to victory lane. Like it or not, he's the winner. And if you're going to and if you're gonna bitch and moan about how he got there and how he was too aggressive, well, 
challenge you to do something different in his position. It's kind of where we are right now in the top level of motorsports in North America. Again, like it, love it, hate it, resent it. It's where we are. So you're going to have to learn to deal with it. Denny Hamlin, I know, had some thoughts on Twitter, and they're not all incorrect. But I will say that he's going to be that guy at one point this season and probably moving on further in his career. So Denny's going to be knocked out of the way. Denny's going to knock people out the way. It's just how the cookie crumbles. Great weekend at Coda, though. I was I was a little bit sad that I wasn't able to watch all of it unfold, especially in person. I want to really try to get out to that race next year. The city, the vibe, it all looks really, really cool. So hope to get out there next year and glad that everybody had a great time from what I saw following the race online and at the race as well in Austin. And we obviously got Richmond Raceway this upcoming weekend. I will be on site in action for us at frontstretch.com heading down there on Saturday. Going to watch the Xfinity race and then Sunday for the Cup Series Toyota Owners 400 as well. Chatted with Christopher Bell for the Front Stretch podcast this week. Also chatting with Dennis Bickmeyer. So check that out. This will be his last race weekend as track president of Richmond. So be sure to check that conversation out as well on Front Stretch. Keep it locked on my Twitter at Davy Center. On TikTok at Davey Siegel as well. Posting my recaps back there on my own account. So be sure to follow me there. I appreciate your guys' support. I appreciate your guys' understanding of no episode last week. Yeah, I had this thing. It's like, man, everybody's going to be so sad. There's no victory lane last week. Nobody cares. No, nobody said anything. I'm sure Kathleen, if you're listening, you're like, oh, yeah, there wasn't one because you're an OG. But nobody said anything on Twitter, so that means nobody cares that much, right? I mean, I get, what, like five, ten listeners, maybe, max. But maybe Derek Nealon gave me some more. Uh, I'm sure his family and friends have probably tuned out by now, and I'm tuning a lot of people out as well. So I'm going to shut up and get out the way. Thank you guys for listening to episode 141 of Victory Lane 2.0. I so, so appreciate you, especially if you've listened this far. If you like what you heard, leave me a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud. That's where you can find us. That's where you can find me. And if you can't find us or me, drop me a line, and I'll try to rectify that issue for you. We'll be back next week with another episode, a potential return guest on the show. I don't have it set in stone yet, but I'm just saying that it may be a fan favorite. Marinate on that. We'll catch you back next week on Victory Lane. Be good, party people.